Thank you guys so much for being here with us as we start 2019. You've officially been here every single Sunday this year, so you're on a good roll. I encourage you to keep it up because as we look at who we're going to be in five years, some of those numbers are astounding, right? When you think, oh my goodness, do I really spend that much time looking at my phone? And the answer is probably yes, that we do. You know, all those things that add up. But for me, when I look back at my life five years ago, I think, man, that went by so incredibly fast, especially when I see pictures of my kids from five years ago to where they are now. It's just unbelievable how life keeps moving on. So we're starting this series, Me in Five Years, and here's the thought. What might your life look like? What might my life look like if we let God work in every single part of our lives over the next five years? As we trust in Christ for the next five years of our life, as we continue to walk with him and grow in our faith and serve others and live by the principles that he set for for us in his word, we would be living healthy spiritual lives. Now, I know that that just kind of sounds good in context, but practically speaking, it's true as well. I mean, if we look at our lives, not necessarily in the spiritual, but in the physical, right? If we, I know you don't want to hear this, but... If we ate right and we exercised and we got the right amount of sleep and we drank as much water as we should and we had the right relationships within our lives, in five years, we would be setting the stage for a really healthy physical life, right? That makes sense. The same is true for our spiritual lives. If we put the right elements and practices and disciplines into place in our lives, We're setting the stage for God to do something absolutely incredible in our lives. And you may be like me. You've gone through seasons in your life where you're like, here I am facing the same struggle over and over and over again. Or maybe it's even worse now. My desire is that we as a church wouldn't be in the same place in five years from now. You as an individual, we wouldn't be in the same place five years from now. But we would be able to look back and say what incredible things that God has done in our lives. Because believe it or not, 2024, which sounds really crazy, will be here before we know it. You can look back at how fast the last five years went. The next five years are going to go equally as fast. And here's the truth that we kind of gathered from that video. How we spend our time matters. What we put into our lives matters the way we treat other people, the things that we think and the things that we say, all of those things matter because life keeps moving and it's going to keep moving at a very fast pace. This was even true back in Jesus's day. I mean, let's pick up basically where we left off here in just this these last few weeks. Jesus has just been born and laid in a manger right? This sweet baby and the angels showed up and the shepherds came and there was no room for Mary and Joseph. And so they ended up in the barn and they laid him in the manger. And then here comes this bright star and eventually the the wise men come and they come to worship Jesus, right? So we have infant, baby Jesus, but then time just keeps moving on. And the next thing that we see through scripture is because Herod is eradicating 
all of the babies under the age of two, right? Because he wants to be the only king. And there's prophesied king of the Jews has now been, has now arrived. He says, well, I'll just wipe out the problem. I'll eradicate the babies, right? So Mary and Joseph, they, they become fugitives. They, they become sojourners that take off to Egypt for safety. And they are there for the next couple of years. And that's what we see happen next in Jesus's life. And really the only other thing that we see about Jesus's childhood, other than he's just living a normal childhood, is that about what would be known to us as sixth grade, he dodges his parents one day and ends up in the temple. He shows up at a service you know, in our context, this would be it. And he stands up and he begins to explain the scriptures with astounding wisdom, just amazing everyone. And that's all we really see about Jesus, right? Until age 30, which is a long gap of time, but time just kept moving on. In that period of time, we know this, Mary and Joseph went on to have multiple other children. They were prolific and they had lots of kids that came after Jesus. And it had to be such a unique dynamic, right? I mean, because this amazing event happened and everybody in the town knew, hey, you guys were engaged and then she was pregnant and there was a whole angel thing and it was prophesied to be the Messiah. But then another year goes by and another year goes by and another year goes by and Jesus just looks like a normal kid. I mean, he's a good kid. Nobody ever saw him do anything wrong. He never sins, but he's just normal. He's a normal, good kid who then becomes a normal, good young man, who then becomes a normal, good man, right? And in the midst of this, this family dynamic happens, and it has to be really interesting because there had to be rumors within the community, right? I mean, this is just a small town. And everybody remembers what was said had happened, and especially within the home, right? There's these rumors, you know, and Jesus is a little bit different than the rest of the kids, right? Well, there, there came a point even we see in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55 and 56, says, then they scoffed. This is the community. He's just the carpenter's son, and we know Mary, his mother, and his brother's James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas, all his sisters, live right here among us. Where did he learn all of these things? So Jesus has four brothers and multiple sisters. And the community says, we know who he is, right? I mean, that's just Mary and Joseph's boy. And honestly, we never see Joseph appear again. And so he must have died somewhere within this span, so it's Mary's son, and we know the family, right? And where did he learn all of these things? That's the community. Can you imagine being within that household? Can you imagine being James or Joseph or Simon or Judas, and you're the little brother? How many of you in here are little brothers? You have an, you have an older brother or sister, right? And you were always in their shadow and they were always perfect and you had to live up to their standard. Well, if you think that was tough for you, like I had to measure up to my older brother, can you imagine being James? Your brother's a little bit different than you, okay? You know, I mean, he's always perfect. Can you imagine playing Battleship with that guy, right? I mean, E7, 
D-A, okay, you win again, Jesus, or hide and seek, right? I mean, he hides his eyes, then he's like behind the donkey, up in the tree, blah, blah, blah. He gets everything, right? I mean, I can't imagine having to grow up as a younger sibling of Jesus. Not that he ever did anything wrong. He was perfect, right? But you're always in that shadow. It had to create some very unique family dynamics for sure. We do see in scripture that he goes on to become a carpenter, like his father was a carpenter. He learned the trade from Joseph. And that's how the community and that's how his family knew him. Here's Jesus. He's a good guy. He's a carpenter. That's Joseph and Mary's kid. That's who he is. But then Jesus hits age 30. And he's baptized by his cousin, John. And the Holy Spirit ascends on Jesus. And then he shows up and he turns water into wine. And he begins to see people and he says, hey, come and follow me. And they begin to follow him. And then everywhere Jesus goes, he begins teaching people. And he begins praying for the sick and the sick are miraculously being healed and the oppressed are being set free. And everywhere he goes, the crowds become larger and larger and larger. And after Jesus hits age 30, God's plan for redemption is now in motion. This is one of the reasons why I love the book of James. Two of Jesus' brothers go on to write a book in the New Testament. James, which is what we're going to be looking at during this series, and also Jude. Uh, that was written by Judas, Jesus' brother, but he wanted to, you know, said, hey, let's go with the shorter version so I'm not confused with the other Judas, right, as having been the one who wrote the book. And it's just a short little book that's easy to overlook. It's between 1st, 2nd, 3rd John and Revelation and just a few verses. So there's James and there's Judas who go on and write a book in the New Testament. But as we look at the book of James, I just can't get over what a dynamic it must have been as Jesus's little brother. How in the world would you process that? And when it comes to James, James didn't buy it. James grew up in the house of Jesus and for whatever reason, he didn't believe it. He did not believe that Jesus was the Messiah. I mean, how hard would it be for your older sibling to convince you, right? Hey, I'm God, right? You're going to say no way. I don't believe it. And even though they would have likely heard the stories from Mary and Joseph, they didn't believe it because they say, you're just flesh and blood like the rest of us. We see this come to kind of a head in John chapter 7, verses 3 and 6, when Jesus' brothers show up to have an intervention with him. After all this starts rolling, they say, hey, hey, this has got to stop. This is what it says. And Jesus... And Jesus' brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, where your followers can see your miracles. You can't become famous if you hide like this. If you can do such wonderful things, show yourself to the world. For even his brothers didn't believe in him. Jesus replied, Now is not the right time for me to go, but you can go anytime. All right, I love this little exchange here because Jesus' brothers show up and they're like, we've had enough of this here in our small little town. They're basically saying, hey, you're such a big shot. Why don't you go just away from us? Why don't you go down I-35 and go to Austin? 
where you can just gather all the people you want and you can be the big shot and you can do your miracles and you can become famous in the capital of Texas, right? Everybody's going to know your name. They're saying, why don't you just go on and do that? And Jesus' response is, "Eh, I can, but I'm not going to do it right now. But you guys are welcome to go. You know, and so there's just this tension between Jesus' family and him. James is the oldest of the other brothers. He would have been the next in line. He's Jesus' younger brother. And he has such a unique perspective because out of the siblings, he's been around Jesus more than anybody. And he's kind of leading the way here. But at some point, everything changes for James. And it makes me wonder, what was the breaking point that gets us to where he eventually writes this book? Let's fast forward to to his book. Just to give you a little bit of background, this was likely the first book in written form that, even though it's later in the New Testament, chronologically, it's one of the first books written. It would have been written about halfway into the the dialogue that we, the, the order that we see in the book of Acts. So as the church has now Uh, Jesus is crucified. He's dead. He rises from the dead. He shows up to his followers and then he ascends into heaven and the Holy Spirit falls. Then the church is born. Then persecution comes and the church begins to scatter and run for their lives. And then that's when we see James show up and that's where he pins this book, the book of James. It's a letter that is written and it's written to the churches, to all the people who are now running for their lives that have been transformed by this message in life of Jesus, and they believe in it, but now in order to believe in it, they have to run for their lives. And so James is going to pen a letter to these believers of which he is now one of those believers. He's going to write a letter to them that is really very basic and simple and to the point. And he's saying to them, if you are a follower of Jesus, very simply put, this is how you live it out. In many of the other books, we we see these stories that, that play out, which are awesome. And in the other books, we see a lot of theology unpacked. We don't get a lot of that in James. James is just simple and to the point. And he says, if you want to live it out as a follower of Christ, this is how we do it. So the real question for me is what happened? What happens to James leading his brother in this, brothers in this intervention to tell Jesus to get out of town because we've had enough with your Messiah complex, right? You need to get out of here to the point where he is now leading the charge in risking his life. Because you see, as he writes this letter, he's not just involved in the church in Jerusalem, which is the center of the persecution. He's now become the pastor, the leader of the most dangerous church in all of the world at that time. He is leading everyone. We also see that James eventually goes on to be martyred for his faith. They give him an out at the very last second when they're about to throw him off the roof. They say, hey, you can deny all this, but he won't deny it. And he dies for his faith. So what happens to this younger brother of Jesus, between saying, Jesus, you get out of town, we've had enough, to the place where he says, I would die to follow this message. Let's see what happened. 1 Corinthians 
15, 4 through 7. It says this. He was buried and he was raised from the dead on the third day. Just as the scriptures said, he was seen by Peter and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Can you imagine that moment? James has got to be going through so many emotions. He's so frustrated with Jesus. If you've ever had a sibling or somebody that you love that just drive you crazy, you love them, but they drive you crazy. And it seems that seems to be the context between James and Jesus. And now he's gone so far to the point where he got crucified. And now mom's got to deal with that, you know? So how is James going to take care of that situation? So James has to be sad and angry and frustrated, all rolled into one. And then one day, three days after this horrible event has happened, James is at a house or walking down the street, wherever he is, and there's Jesus. He rose from the dead. So what happened between James being frustrated with Jesus and James being completely transformed? It's one of the greatest proofs of the gospel, if you ask me. You take somebody who's a complete unbeliever who has now seen the risen Christ and so believes in such a way that they would lay down their own life to follow Jesus. As we look at this book, we see that James was radically changed. I want to encourage you as we go through the book of James, there's some great Bible reading plans. I hope maybe Bible reading is uh, uh, something you want to put into your life and rhythm uh, as we go into this new year. If you get the Bible app, uh, it's just got a little picture of a brown Bible, or you can go to uversion.com if you want to do it on your desktop. They have tons and tons of different Bible reading plans. This is one of them through the book of James. And if you'll look for that picture uh, as you search just for James reading plans, that one will come up and you can go through that with us if you would like to. If not, like I said, there's a million different Bible reading plans on there. You can also get it in uh, unlimited versions and languages. If you want to listen to the Bible in a different language, read the Bible in a different language, it's all there. If you want to listen to it because reading is not your thing, you can hit play on there and listen during your morning commute and get the Word of God in your life. If you're like me, you can speed it up even, right? It's got five different options. You can listen to it in two. You know, you can double the time and speed it up. So you've got no excuse is what I'm saying. Put the Bible into your life uh, as we begin this new year. We'd love for you to read James with us. We're going to begin here as we look at this book in James chapter 1, verse 1. This is the guy who despised Jesus, who now says this, James, a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. He once despised being called Jesus' brother, and now he calls himself a servant. Some versions say a slave. James, like I said, has gone on to become the pastor here in Jerusalem. Peter follows James's leadership. He eventually goes on to become a martyr and gives his own life to follow 
Christ. This is a circular letter that he writes. In other words, basically like forwarding an email, but they couldn't do that in those days. So he took this letter, he wrote it multiple times or maybe once, but it was just passed around to all these believers who are now scattered. They were gathered in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit hits. They're all worshiping. They find out now that there's basically a death warrant for all of their lives. And so if you'll remember, as we went through the book of Acts, they spread out all over the place. Some of them stay in Jerusalem. Many of them go to far places, but they spread out all over the place. And so James writes this letter to get to the point to say, this is how we should live this out. You can tell that James is, is really influenced by Jesus' Sermon on the Mount because we see a lot of parallels here. It's also very Proverbs style where it's just really short nuggets of truth. This is what you do. This is how you live it out. To, to represent Christ, this is how we need to love people. And he just goes from one thing to the next, and he's a little bit ADD. He'll talk about loving people, and then he'll go on and talk about something else. And then he'll say, oh yeah, when you love people, and he'll go back to that again. So it's a great book to read. Just a lot of little bits of nuggets to really give us the truth of how we live this out. Listen to what he goes on to say. And remember the audience who he's talking to. People that are literally every day not knowing if they're going to live to see the next day. He says this in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever we face trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may mature and be made mature and complete, not lacking anything. The people that James is writing this letter to have lost everything. Their homes, many of them have lost their families, their livelihoods. It's not just like, you know, we prayed for, for this family here this morning. They're going to do a job here in San Antonio. They're going to move to another town and do that job there. And this time, it's not just like you could say, hey, I'm going to go to another city and do the same job there. It doesn't necessarily work that easy. So these people have literally lost everything. And James turns to them and says, consider it pure joy. Consider it pure joy when you face all of these things that you're facing because it's going to produce something really wonderful in you. Now, he's not just saying, hey, don't worry, be happy. You know, I know all this stuff is going on around you, but hey, just be happy. No, he's saying it's something much greater than that. And I like that it starts with that phrase, consider it. Because what he's saying there to me is he's saying how we think about things truly matters. Because every one of us are going to face things. Now, we may never face things as difficult as they had to face. But he's saying how we think about the things that we face truly does make a difference. How you think about the things that you're going to face in the next five years of your life will determine in many ways where you end up five years from now in your life. James is saying to them, I want you to take a step back and see the bigger picture here. All right, I know you're all facing horrible things. I want you to consider this. He's saying, think about this. You're going to be stretched in many ways and it's going to make you strong. God knows what you're facing and what you will face and he can use it all to make you complete. If I could summarize James into three really simple points, it would be this. 
Trials, suffering, and difficulty can be expected. They never surprise God. God desires progress, not perfection, as we follow Jesus. Riches and comfort will never satisfy your soul. Things are going to get tough, but how we think is more important than how we feel. I'm not saying that your feelings don't matter, but I am saying your perspective is more important than your feelings. Again, we could apply this to the physical resolutions maybe that you've put into your life. If you said, hey, I want to be healthier in 2019, right? It's not going to be easy to walk past the donuts that you used to go to every Sunday morning when you came here, but now you're going to walk past it and that donut is just shouting your name, right? Maybe you do good today, but later, a week later, a month later, all those carbs start sounding really good, don't they? It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. Progress is more important than perfection. You may have a donut one day. Oh, well, just start back again, right? And even if you get down to that ideal weight, it's not going to make you truly happy. It's not the end all in your life that is truly going to satisfy you. We can see that in the physical realm. We need to see that in the spiritual realm as well. How we think is more important than how we feel. Sometimes your feelings will mislead you. I love that phrase he ends with. Let perseverance finish its work. In other words... This is a slow and steady pace. God wants to do a deep and good work within every one of our lives. And we have to stop, think right, consider it pure joy, and let God do that work deep within our hearts. I don't know about you, but I've been guilty many times of just saying, God, get me out of this situation. When really I need to step back and say, God, in the middle of this situation... Would you do your work within me? I love these next couple of verses too. We'll end with this. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. In other words, to be where God wants you to be in five years, God is saying, I want to help you get there. I want to give you the wisdom that you need. Now, sometimes when we think of wisdom, we think of intelligence, right, and being smart. And wisdom is is a little bit different than that. I simply put it this way. Wisdom is knowing what God wants. Wisdom is knowing God's will. So in that context, he's saying here, if any of you lack knowing what God wants you to do, ask. Because he wants to tell you what his will is in your life. But then he does go on and say, but you must believe and not doubt. You must, in other words, he's saying you got to have faith. And faith is not just positive thinking and visualizing it happening. Faith is being willing to say, God, I will obey. Because God doesn't tell us his will for us to consider. God tells us his will when he knows that we're going to obey his will. 
So the you that God wants you to be in five years, that you're ultimately created to be in five years from now. He's saying, if you want to know my will, ask. And I will tell you my will, but I'm asking you to have faith. And the faith is your yes, even before you know where you're going to be in five years. You're willing to say, God, I will obey. I will do. I will listen. So me in five years, who am I going to be? You in five years, who are you going to be? Can we be the people that God has created us to be? Can we be the families that God has created us to be? Can we be the church that God has created us to be? You got a card in your chair there. And I'm going to start a prayer here in closing. But then I'm going to ask you to finish our closing prayer today. And the closing prayer is just between you and God. This isn't for you to turn in. This isn't for for you to give to me. This is just for you. Your prayer. God, in five years, here's where I would like to see my life. Here's what I want to see you doing in my life. Here's where I need to surrender to trust you. Dear Heavenly Father, I ask, Lord, that you would lead us. Father, I thank you that just like we see in the scripture here, though there may have been those of us here who've been through rough seasons or doubting seasons or seasons like James where we've rejected you, Lord, we have the opportunity to know you, to become all that you have created us to be. Thank you for sending Jesus to die on the cross for our sins to make us whole. Lord, we want to spend just a minute. Lord, we want to ask you to come and work in our hearts and our minds what you might do in our lives if we followed you with all that we are over this next season in our lives. Dear Lord, we welcome your Holy Spirit to continue to work in us and on us. Lord, that we would consider it, that we would think the way that you desire for us to think, that we would live the way that you desire for us to live. Tomorrow and next week, the next five years, for the next decade in our lives, Father, for the rest of our lives, that you would be Lord over everything. Father, we welcome you in Jesus' name.